0: Well, good morning, church family, and if this is your first time here at Windsor Road, uh, we're just so happy to have you here as our guest. Uh, My name is Randy, and uh, I'm the lead minister here at the church. And for the last two months, uh, we have been in a series of messages um, over the Old Testament book of Proverbs, and we have been spending time on the best question ever, the best question ever. What's the best question ever? If you're looking for a question that will cut through the fog that you might have in your life. You need to make a decision and you need this question. This question will give you traction. This question will help get you some movement if you're feeling stuck. The best question ever, what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do in light of my past, in light of my history, in light of my family of origin? What is the wise thing to do in light of the present, in light of what's going on right here, right now, circumstances which weren't in existence six months ago and may not be six months from now, but right here, right now, they're going, they're, they're happening. What's the wise thing to do? And then toward the future in view of my dreams in view of what lies ahead what's the wise thing to do what's the wise thing to do is the best question ever and it will help you through every season of your life the best question ever and we've been applying that question to the different topics and themes that show up in the book of proverbs and so what's the wise thing to do regarding um our work ethic What's the wise thing to do uh, regarding forging strong families? What's the wise thing to do regarding money management? What's the wise thing to do regarding our sexuality? What's the wise thing to do regarding humility versus pride? What's the wise thing to do? Today, we're going to point that question toward the subject matter of cultivating compassion. Cultivating compassion. What is the wise thing to do regarding Cultivating compassion. Now, you might be asking yourself, "Well, why why are we talking about that here now at this last Sunday of the series? Well, why didn't you why didn't you start the series with compassion, Randy? Or why why do you have it here? Here's why. It's because this is the season of compassion. Compassion's on our radar. Uh, It's timely." Uh, you can see over 700 uh, Operation uh, Christmas Child uh, boxes they are going to be sent, they're going to be collected and gathered, and uh, they're going to go um, here this next week. And so this is the season of compassion, so it just makes sense for us to talk about it now. Which leads to another question, what does wisdom have to do with compassion, why would we, we need wisdom for compassion? I mean, isn't compassion a no-brainer? I mean, what's there, to, what's there to be wise about? Oh, let me answer that one. It's sort of a good news, bad news kind of answer. Let me explain the good news first. The good news is that when we think about doing compassion, when we think about acts of compassion, did you know uh, that in one survey... Nearly 90% of American adults are doing compassion in some way, shape, or form. That's pretty high. That's very virtuous. Uh, We live in a pro-compassion country. And so when you go to school or when you go to work or uh, when you're at church, I mean, there are opportunities uh, to to act compassionately there's sort of a compassion boom going on in our country and our country is activity rich in showing compassion and that's great news that's wonderful news our country is activity rich in showing compassion now here's the not so good news the not so good news is this while We are activity-rich as Americans. We're not so good at paying attention to outcomes of our compassion. We may be activity-rich, but we're not so good at paying attention to outcomes regarding compassion. Uh, Case in point, in the continent of Africa... Over the past 50 years, one trillion dollars has flowed into that country, into that continent, rather. One trillion dollars over the last 50 years has flowed into the continent of Africa in regards to to aid. A trillion dollars. And, and the country is poorer now than it was 50 years ago. Um, The per capita income is less now than it was 50 years ago. In the continent of Africa, um, over half of the 700 million people still live on $1 a day. Right? So, after 50 years and $1 trillion. Um, A few years ago, when Hurricane Mitch uh, ripped through Honduras, um, American teams came in and um, wonderfully worked hard to build homes, the average of which was $30,000, activity rich. The locals could have done it for $3,000. An African economist named uh, Nambisa Moyo, in his book Dead Aid, wrote this Aid, though intended to promote health, becomes the disease of which it pretends to be the cure. Aid, though intended to promote health, becomes the disease of which it pretends to be the cure. Hmm. That's internationally. Let's consider stateside for a minute. I'm thinking of the church who several years ago went to their pastor and wanted to show compassion. So this church in suburbia traveled to um, um, an apartment complex in the city and began to distribute Christmas gifts to the children of single moms and delightfully received wonderful giving experience, etc., etc. This happened again the next year, and then the next year. And then one year, the church members went to their pastor and said, Pastor, I mean, it just seems like we keep going back, and there are you know, more children and more single moms, and we just kind of feel like we're enabling. You know, what, what, what's going on here? So the pastor did some homework and decided, or not decided, discovered <laughs> that, The single moms were not single. They were married. But when the rich white folk came in from suburbia to that apartment complex, that display so emasculated the fathers that they just, they were too embarrassed to be there because it made them feel like they weren't providing for their own children, you see. And so the dads would just either go to the back room uh, uh, or, or they would just leave, or, uh, you know, they just wouldn't be around. And the single moms weren't single at all. And so, the, you know, the, the folks would come in, and the gifts would be distributed, and the presents would be opened, and there was this kind of this awkwardness. Uh, and, and, you know, do uh, you see why we need wisdom? It's, it's not a godliness issue. You know, people are acting in, in, in good faith, but there's, it's a wisdom issue. Wisdom asks the question, what is the wise thing to do? And wisdom knows what to do in a given circumstance and situation. And so I want you to listen to these words of wisdom regarding compassion in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 2. The rich and the poor have this in common, the Lord made them both, Proverbs 22.2. Two. Proverbs 19.17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Isn't that a wonderful thought, that you could actually lend to the creator of all? <laughs> what a word picture of how God values compassion. Proverbs fourteen thirty one, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Proverbs twenty two nine, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Proverbs twelve ten, the godly care for their animals. But the wicked are always cruel. And then Proverbs 31, 8, and 9. Let me set this up. Proverbs 31, 8, and 9 are the words of the queen mother to her ruling son, the king. So a mother is speaking wisdom into her son, saying this, Proverbs 31, 8, and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. This is God's word. Now, what I notice here in looking at just a few of these verses over Proverbs is that compassion cuts through all social and economic, situations, uh, ranging from the king's administration to how a peasant treats his or her dog. I mean, compassion is for everyone, everyone. And I think where we need to start when we think about what the Bible has to say regarding cultivating compassion, we need to start with a very fundamental question, and it's this. Why? Why? Why should we show compassion for the poor? And we really need to go deeper than, well, because the preacher said so. Let's go deeper than that, all right? Think about it for just a minute. Why do you want to help the poor? Why do you want to? What truly motivates you? Do you really love the under-resourced? Do you really want to serve them? Or are there other motives? Huh? Uh, in his excellent book, Um, When Helping Hurts, Steve Corbett wrote these words. Part of what motivates me to help the poor is my felt need to accomplish something worthwhile with my life. To be a person of significance. To feel like I have pursued a noble cause. To be a bit like God. I like the idea of being a bit like God. Makes me feel good to use my training in economics to save poor people. Wow. Wow. Wow, that's honest. Then he says this, In the process, I sometimes unintentionally reduce poor people to objects that I use to fulfill my own need to accomplish something. It's a very ugly truth, he says. And it pains me to have to admit it. But when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Why should we show compassion for the poor? What's the motive? Well, Well, Proverbs teaches us that compassion is grounded in our Creator and His creation. Compassion is grounded in the Creator's heart for that which belongs to Him, that which He has made. He is our Maker. We matter to Him, all of us matter to Him. The poor, the under-resourced, of all types. Financially, vocationally, socially, emotionally, physically, mentally. Whatever being under-resourced looks like, God loves them. In fact, so strongly does God align himself with the under-resourced and needy. He basically says this. You mess with them, you mess with me. You mess with them, you mess with me. Proverbs twenty-two, twenty-two and 23. Do not rob the poor... Because he is poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate. The gate, what's that? That's a public place. That's where legal proceedings occurred. And so the warning is stop lawyering up against the oppressed. Verse 23 For the Lord will please their cause. You think you got a good lawyer, they got a better one. He's gonna plead their cause. And rob of life those who rob them. Wow. God has a heart of compassion for the under-resourced. And by that term, the poor, poverty, how does Proverbs describe the poor? Basically in two ways. First, the working poor, the working poor, and then secondly, the hungry poor, the hungry poor. The working poor are, are those who live basically paycheck to paycheck, uh, that would be in our terminology, uh, day to day. They eke out life, which means they're vulnerable. They're very vulnerable. Their one flood, one famine, one disaster could totally wipe them out. The working poor. And then there's a situation even worse than that. The hungry poor. That is, they don't even know where their next meal's going to come from. They don't know when it's going to be. I've never, I've never ever been in that situation in my life. But the hungry poor are. And, of course, when we Americans read this in the book of Proverbs, we want to know, you know, we want to know, well, why has this happened? And let's fix this. And so, you know, there are liberal economic theories that teach that poverty stems from factors outside someone's control, be it prejudice or inequalities or joblessness. And then there are conservative economic theories that assert poverty comes from, you know, the breakdown of the family or a loss of character or personal moral moral failures and so on. Well, Proverbs has a remarkably mature perspective about why poverty happens and basically explains it in three ways. First, natural disasters. A tornado rips through Gifford and they didn't have State Farm back then. Secondly, injustice. Proverbs thirteen twenty three: the fallow ground of the poor would yield much food. So you see, these are the poor who have something and are eking out a living, and they're they're making it. But then the rest of the proverb says, "But it is swept away through injustice." through injustice, and sometimes that injustice comes through the government, and at other times that injustice comes through the oppression of the affluent, and still at other times, Proverbs tells us that uh, that injustice comes by other poor people, poor people preying on poor people. Natural disasters, injustice, and then Proverbs says that sometimes uh, poverty is simply self-inflicted, we saw this in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So, it's complicated, isn't it? It is really complicated. And Christianity teaches that this world is broken. And that brokenness has affected every crack and corner of the universe. And so when we get involved in that brokenness, Brokenness, it just gets messy. It's very messy. But God has a heart of compassion for those uh, who are under-resourced in any way, shape, or form. And, And you may hear that and you say, well, pastor, then if he has such a heart of compassion, why doesn't he do something about it? And the answer is, he has. It's called advent. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Jesus Christ, our Savior, the promised Messiah, he is the creator, sustainer, and reconciler of everything. He came to make right all that he created. And this is why we sing what we sing in that very familiar Christmas carol. He comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. The curse. The curse is cosmic in scope. The curse brought decay. The curse brought brokenness. The curse brought poverty and death. But Jesus has come and has made and is making and will make all things new. And and he is doing this through his people. Through his people. Through us. And that kind of gets us from the, the motive God has a heart of compassion for people Gets us to the means, which is this. God always gives compassion to people through people. God uses people. God works through people. He's always done it this way. He wants to love people and feed people and help people and come alongside of people through people. He is the great delegator. We're the conduit. That's his plan, his way. He is a loving, caring, sharing God. And he wants to help others through his people. And so sometimes that compassion looks like providing emergency relief. And, and sometimes that compassion looks like sitting alongside someone and crying with them in their grief. And sometimes, sometimes the compassion looks like this. These are the Operation Christmas Child uh, Christmas boxes that are, that are going to be sent uh, after today's service's uh, uh, internationally, and and we're just going to love on some children who wouldn't be receiving Christmas otherwise. And here's the deal. When we act compassionately, we bring the peace and the mercy and the power and the presence of God into the life of someone else. If the Holy Spirit of God lives in us, then we bring the Holy Spirit's healing presence into the lives of those we serve. And something else happens that is often overlooked. When we act compassionately, we not only bring the presence of Christ, we enter the presence of Christ. We enter the presence of Christ. Did Jesus himself not say, whatever you've done, To the least of these, you've done to me. Church family, we are the presence of Jesus in our community. And our best worship gatherings take place when we come together to thank God on Sunday for the privilege of loving and serving in Jesus' name Monday through Saturday. And I had that privilege this week. Um, I went to see uh, a dear brother in Christ and, um, and a beloved uh, member of our church family. I went to see Francis Merrifield on Wednesday. Uh, Francis was at home in hospice care, 87 years of age. And I was called to pray uh, with him. And I remember thinking, uh, uh, driving on the way over to their home, I remember praying, Lord, would you just please um, help me bring peace and comfort into Francis' life and Alma's uh, life, Alma's uh, his wife. And so I went to the house, I met Alma at the door, she took me to Francis, and he was sleeping, she woke him up, and, um, and he wasn't able to speak, but I was able to um, look into his eyes, and You may know what I'm talking about. Um, he, He wasn't even able to smile, but I could see a smile in his eyes. I caught the tenderness in his eyes. And for me, it was a sacred moment. It was a holy moment. You see, I was thinking that I would bring the presence of Christ into that room to him. But what I really felt was that I was looking into the face of the Lord himself through the life of this man of God who loved God, loved his family, loved this church family, and who'd been married to Alma 69 years. And I prayed, and the next morning, Thursday morning, this past Thursday morning at 6 a.m., Francis left this life and went to be in the presence of the king. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul says in Galatians 6.10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those Who are of the household of faith. God has a heart of compassion for people. God shares his compassion to people through people. That's his way. And you may be thinking to yourself, okay, okay, I'm all in. Where do I start? You know, what do I do? How can I help? Um. And I want to talk about that in the time that remains. You know, this week you're going to start receiving letters and contacts and appeals and emails from those who are are seeking compassion from you, Um, uh, year in gifts. Uh, you've already some of you've already gotten uh, a letter from me that 's a November update that is a, a a generosity update on how God has been so rich through you um, you 're going to go to the grocery store and you 're going to hear ringing bells and you 're going to see red kettles and you 've got a decision to make here you can either stick your head in the sand and pretend that it 's not there or you know you can be cynical and think that everybody including the pastor, is trying to shake you down. Um, Or you can be overwhelmed to the point of paralysis. Um, But you know the need is real, and you know that there are some God-honoring, Christ-exalting, not-for-profits, ministries, missions uh, that really depend on our loving generosity. So how do you decide what to do with what you have? How do you decide How do you you make a decision about where to invest your compassion? You see, that's why we need wisdom. Because this is a wisdom issue. It's not a godliness issue. It's a wisdom issue. Uh, Because this much is true. There's not enough of you to go around. You don't have enough resources. You don't have enough time. And even if you did, you may not even have enough energy to show the compassion that you'd like to show. So we need wisdom. Does Proverbs provide wisdom for us in terms of, of specifically, you know, how do I get started? And yes, Proverbs does. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. Let me read the verse, and then I'll give you the principle. Here's the verse. Proverbs 3, 27 and 28. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to help them. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow, and then I'll help you. Proverbs 3, 27 and 28. Now, here's the principle from this verse. And I didn't make it up. I was helped by it in my research this week. But it is a great principle for all of us to employ based on these two verses. And here's the principle. Here it is. Do for the one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for the one what you wish you could do for everyone. So what you wish you could do right here, right now for everyone, do for this one person right here, right now. Now, here's the wisdom behind this. You know, we're we're going to be soaked in an ocean of information we're going to be hit with wave after wave after wave of need we're going to hear it on the radio we're going to see it on television it's going to come through our email boxes uh, and after a while it just becomes noise doesn't it and you know we end up thinking that since we can't do it all we're not going to do anything at all and proverbs clarifies clarifies the situation by identifying Who needs your help? Verses 27 and 28. That person who needs your help is your neighbor. The person who lives next to you. The one who is in the office next to you. The person sitting next to you at church. It's the person who is in your life. That's who the one is. Do do for this one person what you wish you could do for every person. So during Advent, God's going to nudge you. He's going to nudge you toward a person, toward a family, maybe it's a couple, someone who may, maybe is at the university who's from another country and they're going to be stuck here over Thanksgiving and Christmas and, you know, uh, they're going to be, it's going to be a lonely Thanksgiving and Christmas for them. Proverbs says, open your eyes, look, observe, pay attention, Proverbs 28, 27. Whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. So there's going to be a temptation to turn away, to look away, to close your eyes. Because when you actually really start getting involved in compassion... The romanticism about it just kind of quickly dissipates. You know, because it's messy. It's real life. And so, you know, and, and you often show compassion and there's no gratitude. There's no gratitude. Nobody says to you, well, thank you so much for your philanthropy. Who says that? Is that what you feel like you need if you're going to show compassion? It gets back to our purpose. You know, why do we do what we do? It's going to be tempting for us to just settle, to have compassionate thoughts and compassionate dreams and and compassionate responses in our imagination. You need to know this. When Proverbs talks about displaying compassion, it's not really telling you how you need to feel. The call is for action. Action. Now, what does that look like specifically if we take up this uh, discipline Of doing for the one what we wish we could do for everyone well there's a couple of different layers and let me explain first it would mean go deep rather than wide go deep rather than wide find a person and go deep see we we like to go wide because it's easier we want to give five bucks here two bucks there ten bucks there and kind of just kind of spray it all out and and that's easier We we can feel good about ourselves when we do that. But here, the challenge is, go deep. Do for the one what you wish you could do for everyone. Go deep rather than wide. Another layer is this. Go for development, not just relief. This is so important. Pay attention, please. Go for development, not just relief. See, relief is immediate. Relief is urgent. Relief is, is what you do to stop the bleeding. Relief is what happens the next day after the tornado rips through Gifford. See? And relief is necessary, absolutely. But relief alone won't solve the problems. It won't. Uh, it's easier to market relief than it is to invest in development. Development. Go for development. Development is when we walk alongside our neighbor. Development is when uh, we say to that person, you know, I'm going to walk with you on this. I'm going to advocate for you. We're going to do this together. Now, I'm not going to do it for you. I will help you do your homework, but I won't do your homework for you, you see. I'll be there for you to help you do what you need to do for yourself. Robert Lupton, in a book I wish all of us would read, it's called Toxic Charity. Toxic Charity. Robert Lupton, the author, said this, giving to those in need what they could be gaining from their own initiative may well be the kindest way to kill people. Wow! Wow. Wow. Go deep, Rather than wide, go for development, not just relief. Go long-term instead of short-term. Go long-term instead of short-term. You know what? There's a reason why we go back to the Dominican Republic every year. We want to go long-term. We're not trying to help a category. We're trying to help a face. And then give time, not just money. Give time. You know what? We'd love to give 100 bucks to everyone. Well, don't use money as an excuse to keep you from giving time, investing time. Find that one person. Find that one group. Find that one couple and make a commitment. Go deep, go for development, go long, and go time. There it is. Do, that's how we do for the one what we wish we could do for everyone. Now then, um, and I'm just so encouraged to share with you about the ministry of Salt and Light, because Salt and Light has moved from a food distribution and clothing distribution ministry to an advocacy, an exchange, a cooperative, so that, you know, if a household needs food, then they get one emergency visit at Salt and Light. And then afterwards, they have the opportunity to become a member of what is called, uh, in, uh, under the Salt and Light Organization, the Gleanings Food Co op. And so membership is gained, and store credit can be earned by working at a local uh, nonprofit of choice. See? So there's an exchange that occurs. You see that? And there's an opportunity for an advocate to walk alongside the under-resourced and listen to them and walk with them and be with them and relate with them. And, and that way, it's just not it's just not rich white folks from the suburbs coming in and doing something that makes them feel good about whatever it is they're doing. OK? Robert Lupton put it this way. Parity is the best form of charity. Do for the one what you wish you could do for everyone. That's the take home for today. What if all of us did that? Whoever it is that's in your mind right here, right now. What if all of us said, I'm going to do for the one what I wish I could do for everyone. What would that look like? How would that affect our worship time here in the future as we're thinking about the future? If we all could just do for the one what we'd like to do for everyone. I'll tell you what would happen. If we did that, we probably wouldn't change the entire world, but we would change that person's world. And it would change our world too. It would. Proverbs says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. And church family, God's interest rates are out of this world.